Hello and welcome to the third ever episode of the Evil Meeple podcast. I'm Evil Lewis and I am joined once again by my lovely wife Zara, aka Mrs. Evil. Hi. And this is the podcast all about board games, why we love board games, how I'm obsessed with board games, and if there's time, board games. So before we get started, I just want to give you guys a quick disclaimer uh, about the fact that currently in the UK, it is hot as balls. I'm currently in the Evil Meeple studio, also known as our bedroom, because it's acoustically slightly less crap than the living room. Yeah, we're in the midst of a mini heat wave here in the UK at the moment, and that's totally not the ideal time to be sitting in a room with all the doors and windows shut in order to minimise any outdoor noise from, you know, being picked up by the podcast mics. Uh, yeah, if you, if you, if, if that comes across and I'm making less sense than usual, it's because my brains have turned to jelly and it's leaking out of my ear holes. I will also add yes. that I'm full of hay fever. Yeah, Mrs. Evil, uh, a couple of years ago, suddenly decided that she suffered from hay fever, um, yeah. af- after previously doubting that it was even a thing. No, I um, knew it was a thing. I just was like, oh, it's not even that bad. Yeah. And then I started with it a couple of years ago. And yes, it is that bad. And now you're allergic to summertime. Entirely, yes. Uh, so if you, if Mrs. Evil's going to do her best to not sniffle and cough too much, um, m- mainly just to help me out when it comes to the edit. But eh, we'll see. It'll be fine. Yeah, just, it might be there, though. Just, just, just bear that in mind. So with that in mind... This month, we are going to be talking about the usual. We're going to be talking about the new games and new game-related happenings in our board gaming life. We are going to be, um, this month's like featurette, if you will, it's going to be all about the surprisingly fun world of roll and write board games. That is, games where you roll and write, not games designed by a fictional guy called Roland Wright. And uh, finally, we're going to be answering some of your guys' questions that you've asked us on social media. So since last month's episode, we've acquired a few games, shall we say. I think I have a problem. I know you have a problem. It's all right. There's a new Kallax on the way to us, hopefully this coming week. Here's a side note. I've I've had to kind of go on a board game buying ban. I've done really well. I haven't bought a board game for like about two weeks, which is a long time for me. Oh, yeah. You know, and then I was really tempted to get something new this week, but it's been too hot to play games anyway. And we've got plenty of games that we've got over the last few weeks that we we haven't really, you know, we've, we've barely even touched. So, um... I'm I'm being strong. I'm not buying any games right now. There's lots of games I'd like. As always, it's the curse of the board game enthusiast. But anyway, speaking of games we've barely touched, uh, this week we were lucky enough to finally get our hands on a copy of the behemoth, the legend that is Gloomhaven. Uh, for those of you who don't know about Gloomhaven, man, where have you been? You, you, just everyone knows Gloomhaven. But for those of you who aren't like board game aficionados, 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 who may be listening, Gloomhaven is a massive um, fantasy dungeon crawl game uh, with an 
like an ongoing campaign that you can play through. Uh, it has some legacy elements, which is to say that, you know, that, that things that you do affect things that happen later on in the game. It's sort of inspired by like dungeon crawl video games in a way. Uh, it's also heavily inspired by tabletop role-playing games such as Dungeons and Dragons. I believe the designer uh, actually kind of uh, name-checked Dungeons and Dragons as something he was a fan of and was inspired by when he was creating it. And it's all wrapped up with this kind of strategic Euro-style card hand management, card management gameplay, whereas most dungeon crawl games tend to be you know, you chuck a dice and see whether or not your attack succeeds. And you'll have like, you know, your character will have like a handful of uh, of abilities on their character sheet and you choose which one you do, you chuck a dice and you see if it succeeds. Whereas Gloomhaven, it behaves very differently. Uh, You've got a, like a hand of cards. Each character has a unique hand of cards which have different abilities on them. And each, each round, each turn, you were, you pick, each, each player picks two cards I'm not going to like go into too much detail here, but essentially you pick two cards. Each card is split up into two sections. You've got a top action and a bottom action, and you basically decide to play the top action of one card and the bottom action of the other card. And but one 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 side might say like you know move four. Um, there might be like another ability attached to that. Another one might be like you know attack five with with like piercing damage of two, for example. Um, so you actually choose what moves you're going to do, and then it's. Watch some videos on it again. I don't want to. I don't want to spend all all afternoon talking to you and gushing to you about Gloomhaven. If you know about Gloomhaven, you know about Gloomhaven. And if you don't, there are better resources out there that are better equipped to tell you all about it than I am. Plus, I'm. I don't want to end up with a almost two hour long episode this month uh, like we did last month. But Gloomhaven, we've played it a couple of times. I like it. What do you think, Mrs. Evil? I like it. It's heavy, like physically. Not. It's not a heavy game in mechanics. I mean, it kind of is. It's, According to the BGG uh, weight scale, it's like a three point eight yeah, something. I don't think it's that bad, but it's. It's, I, it's definitely not a lightweight game. I physically can't lift the box. No. Okay. So when it arrived, uh, it came in. Um, so I got it from a place called PlayBoardGames.co.uk. Shout out to those guys. Good retailer. Recommend them if you're in the UK and you're looking for board games. Pre-ordered it when it became available to order a few weeks ago, and then you know I was really excited um, a few weeks later when I got a ship a, a shipping email uh, saying that it had been dispatched. I kind of had a heads up there because I'd saw I'd seen a couple of other retailers were starting to get stock, so yeah, it arrived, and oh boy, was it kind of a struggle to get up the stairs. It's it weighs nearly ten kilograms. Yeah, there were eighteen sheets of punch board, and that was some heavy punch board. Big sheets as well, because it's a big old box. It's like, I don't know, I want to say it's about like 30 centimetres by like 45 or something like that. It took us, I think, like two hours to punch out all the components and then try to organise them into separate baggies. Yeah, about that. I gave up at one point. I tapped out. You did? And went and sat on the sofa. You, you, you stormed off and sulked for a little while. Yes. While I carried on trying yep. to organise um, the many different enemy ability cards. Yeah. Uh, but we got there, but it took about two hours. Uh, by which point we were in no state of mind to actually try to play the no. game. So we we waited until the next day. Uh, then we played the opening tutorial mission. 
so it, it does take a little while to set up for sure and you can certainly mitigate that with a with a good storage solution now you can get like third party box inserts which have compartments for everything uh, some of them are really expensive some of them less so depending on, on the materials used you know you can get like wooden ones and you can get like foam ones I've seen other people just coming up with their own like ghetto solutions which is like multi-compartment uh, like fishing tackle boxes or uh I don't know what a lot of a lot of people tend to call them plain L boxes. I believe that's a brand of fishing tackle manufacturer. Correct me if I'm wrong. You know, and you can certainly use something like that. Currently, we've got a couple of little compartment boxes that we just already had lying around, into which most of the like status tokens have gone, yeah. and then everything else, like the the enemy standees and stuff like that, is all just kind of in various baggies. It's not a perfect system, but. You know, I, I don't mind a game with a bit of setup time. Well, as long as you've got plenty of time. If, you, if you've if you got a whole afternoon or evening free to play board games, then if, you know what I mean? I, I don't mind necessarily if a game's going to take us 20 minutes to set up, if that's then going to give us an hour or so of enjoyable gaming time. And then, you know, like another 15 minutes to, to pack away afterwards. I think the reason, though, that it took so long the first time yeah. um, was partially because, I mean, you knew what you were doing kind somewhat. Of. Yeah, yeah, kind of. Um, I kind of did yeah but there was a lot of like working stuff out um yeah yeah the second time i set it up on my own yeah you did um i, I think, think i just got out of the shower or something yeah. and i was kind of like getting dry and getting dressed and uh, i came back in the living room and you basically set up gloomhaven yeah um and that took me a lot less time yeah. partially because i knew you know we'd done it once before so yeah. i knew kind of what we were doing yeah yeah also i have my system of how I've organised things. Yeah. It's it's not ideal, but I know where everything is. When we sorted everything out, we didn't have enough baggies for all the different types of monster standees because I believe there's over 200 separate monster standees. Uh, yeah, I think um, there was like 246, if I remember correctly. That's a lot of bits of cardboard to, to punch out. Mm-hmm. And we didn't have enough bags to put each type into its own separate bag, so you adopted the buddy system or the friend system. Yeah. I did, where I made them all before. Well, I, I put certain things. had no idea what any of the monsters were because we hadn't looked in the book or sure. whatever. Yeah. So I basically just decided who would be friends with who. Yeah, now everyone has buddies and friends. And most, they, they, they mostly. All, they all hang out together in their own baggie. And for the most part, with the monsters that we've used so far, my buddy system has actually worked quite well. Yeah. Um, because on a couple of occasions we've needed couple of different types of enemies and yeah. they've happened to be in their yeah, yeah. own bags as buddies so so well done to you for that yeah we've only played it a couple of times so we, we played the opening tutorial mission uh, a few days later we played the, the second scenario which which links directly from the opening tutorial mission we realized in hindsight that we did get a couple of rules wrong in that second scenario which probably made it a little bit too easy for us also we are playing on what so far, we've been playing on, you know, what the game refers to as, like, easy mode. Basically, there's different enemy levels from, like, one through, I think, seven or eight. No, I think it's zero through seven. And there's a formula in the uh, in the rulebook for working out how difficult you should make a scenario based on your party's level. And the default level is one, but I think just because we were trying to get our heads around the game, so far, we've played on level zero. The last scenario we did was probably a bit too easy, but then had we not 
misinterpreted a couple of the rules that we had, I think that would have increased the challenge a bit. So I'm currently not sure when we play next time whether we'll stay on level zero or try and make it tougher and do level one. I think we'll go to one. Maybe. We'll... That's, that would be my decision. The thing is, if you fail a scenario, you still get any gold or XP you've acquired mm-hmm. thus far. And you can basically just, I think someone, I saw in a uh, Facebook group, someone described it as, when you fail a scenario, I think some someone had commented like it doesn't make sense that you get to keep your gold or XP if you if you fail and die. But someone else pointed out that technically you don't die. Technically you're exhausted, and a good way to look at it as is that you're essentially you're essentially running away at that point. You're retreating. So and you're going to take everything with you, and then you come back and try it again later. You know. So this is the thing. I guess we can we can try on a harder difficulty level. Mm. And if it's too hard for us, we can just try again and make yeah. it make it a bit more easy. I uh, I was a bit unsure about Gloomhaven. This yeah okay so this is a game that I found out about pretty early within the first few weeks of, of getting into modern board games, um, which is a, a hobby that I've been uh, up to my waist in since uh, December of last year. So for about six months now, and it was the you know again it's it's the number one rated game of all time according to thousands of users of board game geek and it's yeah it's it's legendary but it's also known as being kind of potentially off-putting because it's this huge 10 kilogram box that's about the size of three regular board games full of cardboard bits and stuff and again and it, it's known to have a fairly complex rule set and there there's quite a lot of rules to learn and stuff to get your head around but it was one of those games that the idea of it appealed to me the idea of having a good fantasy medieval dungeon crawler board game was something i, I wanted very early on in our board gaming career yeah. to the point where we actually bought one of the dungeons and dragons board games temple of elemental evil um a few weeks into our journey into board gaming and then we played it a couple of times and then sold it on eBay because uh, don't want to offend anyone, but the D&D board games, kind of crap. Like, we have played a couple of sessions of actual, actual D&D. And that's um, very fun. Like, before the Rona uh, took over, uh, which I've nominated myself as the uh, as the DM because, I don't know, I, I, I guess I like Because you know the most accents. <laughs> I, I like the sound of my own voice, yeah. You know, and that's something that we hope to do some more of once we're allowed to uh, to meet real people in real life again. But, you know, there's that's completely different to playing a board game. And I've been really enjoying, again, so far, what, what Gloomhaven we had played. And you said this, that you were a little bit worried about Gloomhaven, that it would feel like the D&D board games. Well, there was a couple which of things. The D&D board games were really, really hard. And, I, like... I remember the last time we played it, I basically ended up running a conga line of yeah. monsters around the dungeon because every time you explore a new tile, more often than not, a new monster spawns and they just follow this set pattern of basically advancing towards you if, if they're like too far away and if they're close enough, they attack. And I just spent my whole time, rather than trying to fight them, just running around the dungeon with this whole conga line of monsters behind me. And honestly, it... it didn't feel fun or particularly satisfying to play. Gloomhaven, on the other hand, feels really good to play once you've got it down. And the fact that you've got this persistent world where you know you, you can level up your character, you can the, 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 you can earn influence. The city of Gloomhaven can level up, and therefore more items become available to buy in the shop. It's this again. I, I, I saw. I remember a quote from a video, possibly the Shut Up and Sit Down review, where Matt Lee's I want to say said. Gloomhaven is not a role-playing game, 
but it contains a role-playing world. And I think that's the last I'll say about it, is that go and watch a review. Go and watch the Shut Up and Sit Down review of Gloomhaven if you've got half an hour to spend and you're interested in finding out more because that'll do a better job than I'm doing right now of, of giving you an idea of what Gloomhaven is all about and whether or not it's something you might want to seek out. I feel like you might have more to add. Yeah. Go on. I was trying to make a point earlier. Okay. So I, I get carried away. I yeah. apologise. No, it's fine. I'm kind of, I'm at the point, I'm used to it, where we've yeah. been together long enough that I know that you go off on tangents and yeah. I just need to sit back and wait. Who'd have thought? With Gloomhaven, it was a couple of things. Like, I've always quite liked an RPG. Yeah. Um, in both, like, video games. Um, I also played quite a lot of Warhammer Quest yep. before we met. Yeah. Which is like the legendary, a lot of people still hold that as the holy grail of dungeon crawl board games, uh, but it's out of print and you're looking at hundreds of pounds mm. now to get hold yeah. of a copy. Yeah. Um, so I played quite a lot of that, mm-hmm. really enjoyed playing that. Yeah. Plus um, you like medieval fantasy. Yeah. That yeah, kind totally. of stuff anyway. And then we got the D&D board game mm-hmm. um, and... I I really wanted to like it. Yeah, we both did. It was you know again another dungeon crawler. Brilliant! I get yeah. to be a wizard. Yeah, love that. Yeah, but it just like it made me feel oppressed. There yeah, was such an oppressive feel. And I know you're in a dungeon. Yeah, so... and dungeons are claustrophobic and oppressive. Sure. Yeah, yeah. But I think there's a difference between feeling like you're in a dungeon and just this oppressive. It was uncomfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it sounds really weird. No, it's, but it's true. You know me, like we've watched the when we watched The Walking Dead, and I'm yeah. like, it makes me feel really hot. You also think it's a bit weird. But <laughs> whatever. I read a lot. I have yeah. an overactive imagination. That's fine. That's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. So I was worried that Gloomhaven would make me feel that oppressive feeling I had mm-hmm. with Temple of Elemental Evil. Yeah. Also, it was the the sheer like size of it. Yeah. Um, and it's quite the undertaking of a game. You know, there's hundreds of hours of, of content there. Yeah, there's. I think there's 95 scenarios. You're not necessarily going to do them all because depending on which path, which choices you make throughout the game, yeah, the, that's the gonna, legacy element. That's going to like lock off mm. some scenarios from you. So you'll probably... I, I'm going to hazard a guess that to see the end of the game, you'll probably do about 70 scenarios. Yeah, but that's still, you know, there's still hundreds of hours of gameplay yeah, there. Yeah, there's still like a good hundred hours of gameplay there. So it was just like the sheer level of commitment, I think. Yeah. Kind of worried me a little bit. Are we even going to see the end of it? Probably not. I don't know. Um, yeah. And you discussed buying, um, I think, the one of the expansions. There, there, there's one expansion, um, Forgotten Circles. Yeah, and you'd mentioned that and I was like, I don't, I don't think we'll need more. It was mainly because I saw it somewhere at a bargain price. But I, again, I, uh, oh, uh, I, um, sorry, I've just, I've just knocked a little uh, decorative widget that's hanging off the bottom of the bed uh, as I, as I, as I gesticulated wildly. Um, yeah, a little girly knickknack uh, hanging on the foot of the bed. I just, I just knocked that as I was gesticulating. Um, yeah, I, I, I saw the expansion, really good price on a website. But I held off because, again, I, I, you know, I'm trying to be more sensible. I'm trying not to spend money just, just willy nilly on board games. Yeah, and, and it's we really 
hard for me to not do. But Currently I'm... have the agreement in place that you don't buy any more board games until we get a new Kallax. Yeah, and then we sort of decided that that agreement maybe didn't hold water when you talked about buying books because you had future book space. Yeah, maybe. And I like thought, said, well, it, where's the precedent for that? Does that mean I've got loads of future board game space on the way with several additional Kallax cubes that will soon be available. So, But books are much cheaper. They also take up less room. Yes. Although I buy them at a, a, a lot of a, a lot higher rate than yeah, board games because yeah. I read a book a day. Sure. So from a huge monolithic behemoth of a board game, which is heavyweight both in terms of its rules complexity and its, its physical size, weight. moving on from that to something that is quite the opposite, Bar and Park. Uh, Bar and Park is a game which has been on our radar for a while. But I just kind of thought, ah, we, we don't need it. It's it's maybe a little bit lightweight for, for our tastes these days. And I saw it online and it was it was cheap. It's it's a pretty cheap game. Again, I've seen reviews of it. I know that it's well regarded by a lot of people. And I thought, you know what? Why not? Yeah, why not? Let's let's just get it. Because it, it was cheap, it's cheerful, it's quite lightweight, and this is the thing that we that I feel like we've um, the the place we found ourselves these last few weeks. In the last episode, we talked about how we've we've gra- gravitated towards heavier, more complex games since we got into the hobby, and this month we've gravitated more towards more lightweight games. And it's quite interesting to see how your tastes change. Like, not that we don't still enjoy those heavier, crunchier euros because we really do, but. It's nice to so last week last episode we were talking about you know something that sustains you you know a a, a, a game that's the equivalent of a big bowl of oatmeal um, versus a game that's the equivalent of a tube of Pringles and you know sometimes just in the mood for a, a couple of handfuls of Pringles not an entire like three course meal so Bar and Park definitely is a tube of Pringles and it's quite tasty i i really like it yeah but then also i like one i like um animals y- no i oh. was thinking what's the word for the pieces polyominoes that's the one for, for those of you who aren't uh, learned in the way of the board game uh tetris pieces yeah i like doing i mean you know, i've always liked putting puzzles together yeah you know and that's essentially what it is you put in this nice little puzzle together and there's bears yeah bar and park uh designed by phil walker harding who turns out i didn't realize this when we bought bar and park he also designed sushi go so there you go he's a he's he's a he's a clever chap who knows how to make a nice breezy little game uh yeah you you start with a grid uh which has the entrance to your bear park on it bar and park is german for bear park and there's several different languages of bear park there's like bear park which is the english language version there's some other international names which i can't remember yep Um, which is like bjorn park i don't know anyway uh so you you take your bear park starting area it's got a grid it's i don't know let's say it it could be like a nine by nine or a ten by ten grid of of squares and you choose you, you start with a certain size piece you place it on your board and on your board, there are little icons. There may be like a man with a wheelbarrow or like a cement truck or a uh, like a digger. Um, and depending on what icons you cover up with the pieces you place, that then 
allows you to take another piece from the central communal board where all the other pieces are. You know, you've got some bigger, chunkier pieces like bare enclosures. You've got small little single square ones like just toilets or, you know, slightly bigger ones, which are like um, like food outlets and like kids yeah. play areas. You've got your green, yeah, so you essentially you've got your green spaces, mm-hmm. which are like one by one squares, two two by one, yeah, three by one, and then yeah. little corner pieces. Yeah. And there's piles of those. Mm-hmm. Um, the animal enclosures. Yeah. There's like three of each type. You get points for those. Yeah. And then the biggest pieces, they're single. Yeah. There's only one of each type. Yeah. Um, but it is, And if you fill up your, your board, you get, you get a bear statue. Because yeah. there's a piece on each grid that you can't cover. You can only yeah. cover that the, with a bear statue. There's one space on each board, which is like a, a hole with construction barriers around it. And you can't cover that with any pieces until you've covered every other square on that board. At which point you take a little single single square uh, bear statue from by the board. Um, which and gives you, you points. And place it there. Also. It's lovely. It's very nice. I really like it. Yeah. I It makes me feel happy. Yeah. Because I'm just, you know, putting it, things together nicely. It's great. If, if you like bears and you like slotting Tetris-sized style style shape, sized, I, I can't do words. Mm-hmm. If you like slotting Tetris-style shapes together, there we go, with your hands, it's a good time. It's cheap. It's... It's, you know, it's straightforward to learn. The rules are nice and lightweight. There is a slightly more advanced mode where there are like some achievement tokens that you can get. We haven't even tried that yet because we've only played it two or three times. But it's lovely. Uh, I I would recommend it. Again, if you want to find out more, have a look on YouTube. Check out some uh, either how to to play videos. I told you that heat, my brain, is turning to tomato ketchup and leaking out of my ear balls. Yeah, it's, it's, it's nice. Uh, if you want to find some some videos, do that. They'll tell you about it better than I am. From there, we're going to go to Japan. Namely, Yokohama. A game designed by, funnily enough, Japanese designer Hisashi Hayashi. And it's a... I don't know, how would you describe this? It's not really... It's not really a worker placement game. I mean, it, I, it kind of is. It's like worker movement? Worker... No, but it's kind... Basically, you have a selection of cards. Tiles, tiles that you place out. That's the word, yeah. yes. And they Each all... one represents a different place. Yeah. And you set them up kind of randomly on the table, so the layout's always going to be kind of different. And each turn, you can drop off assistants, which are represented by these little wooden cubes, on... I want to say three it's different three locations. three different locations, or you can put two cubes on one on location. On one location. And then you take a little wooden pawn, who represents your like company's president, and you move him between these tiles. But he's only allowed to move between tiles... That have assistants on them. Yeah. Yes, he is, yeah. Yes, he is. And they have so to be adjacent... And, yeah. And they have to be adjacent to each other. So essentially what you're doing is laying out little trails with your assistant. Yeah, like a Hansel and Gretel-style breadcrumb trail. But instead of breadcrumbs, they're men who work for you. Yeah. Um, and then, dependent on how many um, assistants you have on the square, that on the tile that your president ends his movement on denotes how many of a thing yeah, resource how, you can collect. How, how powerful an action yeah. you can take on that location. It seems quite simple, but it's very clever. And 
There's a lot more going on. Yeah, and there's, you have to fulfil orders. Yeah, there's like um, international export orders. There's like a, a, a scientific research track where you can kind of acquire different technologies, which are basically just like um, cards which have like special powers on them that just, just allow you to kind of, you know, have slightly better things in the game. Like, for example, you'll get an extra victory point every time you do a certain thing. Yeah. Things like that. You or, also, or you'll get extra money when, when you do yeah, a certain thing. Yeah, you can thing. also Things do like church stuff. I the, haven't been to the church, yeah, so the, I don't actually know what you do there. There's church I stuff. I refuse. Yeah. It's a good game. It's a very good game. It's one that I've kind of had on my radar for a while. Partly because um, it's when I was looking at getting Istanbul, a quite well-known and well-regarded Euro game. And I'd seen someone, possibly on the BGG forums, say that they preferred Yokohama as a game with similar mechanics, but apparently more depth and more more longevity, basically. Uh, again, I'm, I'm not going to go into this too much, but... It's a very good game. Also, I feel like I snagged the last copy in the UK. And that was partly why... <laughs> Weird flex. That was, no, that's partly why I ended up getting it. Because I'd had a look around. I, I quite often use a site called Board Game Prices UK, which is a comparison site. It compares the prices of lots of board games. You know, you go there, you type in the name of a board game in the search field, and it will bring up a bunch of different prices. Now, it doesn't have every retailer in the UK, but it has many of them so it's it's not entirely foolproof but it's pretty good and i'd been on there looking for yokohama since i found out about it and i saw that there was this one website uh board game guru in fact shout out to i want to say angus we'll go with angus um for hooking me up with that copy i say hooking me up i bought it with my own real money it's not <laughs> yeah, like it's, he made it sound dodgy it's, it's not like he just sent me a present i mean if, if you're listening angus and you want you want to send me some presents Feel free, that'd be delightful. But yeah, I, 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 had, I had previously inquired to him and been like, have you got a lot of stock of this? And it turned out that they only had one copy. And then I procrastinated on this for a few weeks, saw that they still had stock, uh, inquired again, and turned out they still had this one copy. And I was like, I, I kind of want to get it. So yeah, we bought it. It's fun. We've played it a couple of times so far. I would like to play it again at some point in the near future. Mm -hmm. And we will do so once again look online for reviews and videos and stuff and that in this case um i would recommend no pun included there they have a great youtube channel all about board games uh, they have a very good review of yokohama couple more to get through this might be our, our most recent board game acquisition and it's a game that i've wanted to get hold of for a long time and haven't been able to because Weirdly, for such a popular game and for something that's published by a relatively mainstream publisher, that being Ravensburger, it just hasn't been in stock anywhere in the UK for months now. And that game is The Castles of Burgundy by renowned German designer Stefan Feld. We talked about him last month uh, when we discussed his game, his more recent game, Carpe Diem. Uh, Castles of Burgundy has been out for, I think it's since like 2014. It's, it's you know, it's somewhat of a legendary um, all-time classic Euro game. And last year, I believe, uh, Ravensburger slash Aaliyah, the publisher, released the 20th anniversary edition, which is weird for a game that at the time was five years old. But don't be confused. Apparently, it's something to do with the 20th anniversary of the publisher, not of the game. Castles of Burgundy 
it's known to be one of the ugliest, least attractive games there is. I think that Carpe Diem might have something to say about that. Carpe Diem being another Ravensburger slash Ilya published game. They do tend to have a thing for ugly, dry Euros. So yeah, the, the anniversary edition has updated artwork. It's much more bright and colourful. It's still... Whether it's better or worse, I, I haven't seen a copy of the original in the yeah, we've flesh, seen... in the cardboard. Yeah. So the, the original's a lot more beige, uh, and the anniversary edition is a lot more bright and colourful. Whether that's better or worse, eh, judge for yourselves. What I do know is that the tiles themselves are two or three times thicker. Uh, a lot of They're people complain. They're still not that thick, though. No, no. This a, is the thing. A lot of people did complain about the paper-thin tiles in the original. And there's a bunch of, like, mini-expansions that have come out for it over the years that are just included in the box. Uh, there's, like, different player board variants yeah. and different, like, different tiles and little kind of extra modules you can add in. We've only played this once so far, but I really enjoyed it. Um, I did. I, I felt like crap when we played it. Yes. Didn't I? Was this another hay fever day? Uh, it was, it was hay fever-headache combination. Because um, I suffer with headaches quite badly, um, thanks to my mother. She mm-hmm. gave me migraines, not like because she's annoying, just genetically. Yeah. Um, so. Or both. Or both. <laughs> no, I love my mum dearly. Excuse me, I've just had a drink of water from a an insulated bottle and there's some ice in there. And I've got an ice cube in my mouth now. Mmm, lovely. Anyway, carry on. Yeah, we can't say that mom's, my mom actually listens, so yeah, no, <laughs> no, we, we love my mom. Yeah, we do, we do. Um, but because she suffers with migraines, I do also. And so I felt like rubbish when we played this. Um, yeah. We, the day that we got it, I felt like rubbish, so we didn't play it. it yeah, and the then the next after. day. I still felt like rubbish, but we... we... I, you sensed that I was super keen to play it. Yeah. And you were so like, do you want to play it? I was like, let's just get it over and done with, Yeah. basically. Yeah. Um. But I really did enjoy it. Uh-huh. It's good. It's, it's really good. It's a lot of fun. I won. You did, which it was surprising because I felt like I was in the lead for oh, about I, yeah, I won by three quarters of the game. Margin, didn't I? I don't want to go too much into specifics, but it's it's kind of, it's a tile laying and dice placement game. I, I don't even know if I want to try and explain how it works. No, it's Although, it's quite complicated. It's, it's not that it's not complicated. Be, yeah, honestly, it's it's on the lighter end of your midweight euros. It's just at first you're like, well, how does this work? Essentially, you do you get two dice. Yeah, every player gets two dice of their color. Um, I didn't put my Lewis phone didn't on. Put si- his phone on silent. It's because Mrs. Evil went out uh, to get a bit of shopping earlier, and I always put my uh, my phone ringer on loud in case she needs to contact me. Um, and always. I forgot to I forgot to resilence it. Anyway, yeah, Castles of Burgundy. Each player gets two dice of their color. Um, you roll them, and then depending on the value of those dice, you can take different actions that equate to those values. That being collecting tiles from a a main communal board and placing them into a storage area on your own personal player board and or placing a tile from your storage area on your player board onto your duchy, I want to say. Yeah, duchy. I just call it your burgundy. You place a tile onto your burgundy. Um, and each square on that tile has like different dice values. I'm pretty sure that a duchy is like a collection of towns in Germany. Sure. You know, a bit like a bit like a county, but smaller. It's also a German. funny cigarette, as of as 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 of as as made famous in songs. Oh, is that what that's about? Anyway, 
I didn't know that. <laughs> yes. Castles of Burgundy, it's a good game. I recommend it if you can get hold of a copy. Again, check out a review, see what you think. But if you like your midweight Euros and for some reason you haven't played it yet, and I mean, come on, are there really... I feel like I'm probably the last board game enthusiast on earth who hadn't played Castles of Burgundy <laughs> up until a couple of weeks ago. But I'm just, I'm happy to have it in my collection. It's really good. Finally, not finally, not finally, <laughs> penultimately, sorry, I just, I, I misread my list. Penultimately, we're going to talk about a game we mentioned last month, Wingspan. Uh, we discussed last month how we uh, we had ordered this. It was on back order from the retailer, uh, we subsequently have received our copy. Uh, somewhat annoyingly, um, Zatu uh, Boardgames.co.uk, I believe their website is big board game supplier in this country. They sent us a copy, and they didn't think to one use an especially sturdy cardboard box, and two didn't think to put anything else in the box. Any, I believe, I've seen someone comment this on a, on a post. Void fill to fill in the space. The spare the void. space. Yeah, to fill in the void between the game box and the, the shipping box, you know. A lot of the time, most of the places, you know, when I buy board games from playboardgames.co.uk, shout out to Darren, or the board games themselves are always wrapped in bubble wrap. Yeah. And then they're in a stir- that bubble wrap goes into a sturdy box, which is either filled with that kind of um, fairly stiff, like, brown packing paper that you get, like, screwed up. Or packing peanuts. Or, packing, or, or styrofoam packing peanuts, yeah. Um, and they always end up, they always turn up in like perfect condition. Now, to be fair, we've ordered, we ordered from Zatu a lot when we got into the hobby at first and all the games arrived from them in, in really good condition. But for some reason this time, they just thought, ah, this flimsy cardboard box and no other packing whatsoever will do. I don't think that the uh, fragile sticker on the box helps. I don't think there was one in this case, but was no, that, that's, sure. that's a different sure conversation. I'm sure like a handle with care sticker. Some, um, some retailers use those and I see those as a, as a bullseye, as a target for uh, overly zealous delivery people. So yeah, they just threw it into a flimsy-ish cardboard box. Somewhat annoyingly, the box when we got it out, well, the, the box that it arrived in was kind of crushed. Mm-hmm. And when we got the box out, there was some, I'm going to say admittedly quite minor, crush damage along two of the uh, edges of the outside of the box. I wouldn't which is annoying. say it's minor. Like, I mean, it's not major. Mi- no, but sto- the Stonemaier boxes are quite sturdy. They are very sturdy, yeah. Um, and this all is- the components are always really good in a Stonemaier game's Game. Stonemaier Games games, yes. As um, we, we, we discussed Stonemaier Games games and their high production yeah, last month. Um, and my love for that. Yeah. So it was, I think it was even more, if it was like, so the Ravensburger boxes are notoriously quite thin and, and flimsy. Yeah. yeah, the Castles of Burgundy that we just discussed, that is a pretty lightweight cardboard yeah. that they've used. So if it was that, I would kind of understand more why, you, you let yeah. more go, I think. Yeah, yeah. But when it's one... Um, a Stonemaier Games game who mm-hmm. notoriously put them in really good boxes. Yeah, Stonemaier Games come in pretty, pretty chunky, sturdy yeah. cardboard boxes. That and we paid a lot more for it. Well, yeah, they're generally a bit more expensive yeah, because they're more of a premium of course, product. Yeah, you, you you pay for the quality. You know, I have no issue with with paying that mm-hmm. when it is as nice. You know, when the production value is as nice as it is. Exactly, and that's that's the thing. As as we discussed, Stonemaier games they generally are beautifully produced and presented. Mm. It's a beautiful yeah, box. Completely. The components are really nice, and you know, it, with a hobby where things are kind of 
collectible like mm. board games and you display them as well you display them you want them to you want them to be in good condition you want to take care of your stuff and and you know look after it and be proud of it and for it to potentially last you for years mm. um and so to have a game arrive brand new and a premium kind of you know pretty pretty game like wingspan in in a box that hasn't come through the the postal system unscathed was frustrating shall we say especially when all it would have taken was one a slightly sturdier cardboard box which previously Zatu have usually used. Yeah. And two, just something else in there, in between the shipping box and the game itself, as, as every other retailer, including Zatu, normally do. It, it was a bit bewildering. I contacted them, they, they offered were pretty, me... They were really good. They, Their they, customer service was, was, was real good. It was good. Ideally, I would have liked a replacement, but they offered me a partial refund, which, on balance, rather than spending a week or so having to figure out how to return the item when we don't have a printer... Um, and there's a pandemic yeah and, and there's a pandemic so it's you know it's it's not as easy or safe to to ship large items currently to, to you know go to places where you can do that and potentially wait several days to get a replacement copy when for, as far as i know they might you know they may have shipped all of them yeah shipped all of their available stock yeah yeah uh i figured on balance also being able to just open the game and play it because you know because it, it was we got it late on a friday or a saturday yeah, it was, it was so, a friday it was like after after 5 p.m on a friday yeah so you couldn't get in touch with Zatu, so we had to leave it in the shrink mm-hmm. all weekend yeah which was really horrible it was um because i was really looking forward to playing it yeah um because i i am quite partial to a to a stonemaier games game and i really wanted to build a bird feeder mm-hmm. and we had to leave it just yeah. sat there all weekend uh, so yeah, they I got in touch with them. They uh, got back to me on Monday, offered me a partial refund, uh, but you know, a partial discount refund, whatever. On balance, I decided as much as I would have liked to have had a pristine copy, I've essentially got the game for a good price with some. Again, I'll say it's it's pretty minor box damage. So eh. anyway, that was far too long of me moaning about a retailer not being like thoughtful enough to to use decent packaging. Um, on this one occasion as to the actual game we talked about this a a little bit on the last episode when we were talking about kind of gateway games it quite often gets compared to terraforming mars which we talked about on the last episode in as much as they're both card based engine building games Uh, having played both of them now we can say that yeah for sure wingspan is easier to get to grips with especially for like completely yeah Uh, a bit more lightweight on the rules it's also substantially quicker uh, a game mm. of terraforming mars you're looking at a couple of hours whereas wingspan you're probably looking at about 45 minutes for two players you know maybe add an extra 15 20 minutes I... per player i don't know we've only played it a couple of times between the two of us but we've both well i cannot speak for myself i've really enjoyed it i love it yeah it's really um, nice I, I think i actually like it more than you do i mean i really like it um, and what i like is that it feels kind of relaxing even yeah. though you've got this whole like euro puzzle thing going on where as as is usually the case in any kind of euro style game you've got this puzzle in front of you and you've there are things that you want to do to succeed but you can't do all of them mm. and so you've got to try and figure out like which is the best or as i like to look at it which is which is the least bad course of action to take yeah and that that as a as a as a as a mind state can be quite stressful. Yeah, but you you know well, see the, see also Agricola on the couple of occasions. <laughs> but, 
that we have played Wingspan, mm-hmm. um, you haven't ended up sat there... With my head in my hands. Yeah, no, you haven't. Talking about how hopeless it is. Yeah, no. there hasn't been any analysis paralysis necessarily with you. We've just Not kind, so much. Yeah, so it's nice. I really like it. I yeah. like being a bird overlord. I don't even like birds. No, you hate birds. I'm terrified you, of birds. You flee from them in real life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but they're just they're just drawings, so it's fine. They're not real birds. The artwork is lovely as well, actually. You've got these kind of like watercolour... Like watercolour drawings, uh, yeah. Drawings of all the birds. You've got loads of cards. We actually also bought the expansion, the European expansion. After playing it twice, we bought the European expansion, which basically is a load more birds, but ones that you'll find in Europe. But also, you get some nice purple eggs. Yeah, Yeah, but uh, we bought that for one reason, mainly. The little bustard. Yes, because when we got Wingspan, I went through all the bird cards, really excitedly looking for the little bustard, and it wasn't there. There was no little bustard to be found. It was. We then realised it was in the European expansion. And almost immediately ordered it, yes. yes. But I really, I, I love it. Um, it's very nice. You just get, you, you know, I quite like just collecting my birds and forcing them to lay eggs when mm-hmm. they don't really, probably don't want to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Eating other birds, that's fun. Yeah. Again, we're not going to explain how it works. Uh, watch a video on it. What I will say, um, I always rave about uh, the YouTube videos of Shut Up and Sit Down. Uh, they finally got around to getting a review out of it on YouTube almost a year after it launched. And, it was uh, quite lukewarm, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, uh, Quinns, uh, who reviewed it uh, from Shut Up and Sit Down, he also, he's, he's like quite into birds. Yeah, he likes birds. It turns out. He wasn't a huge fan of it. And this is the thing, I, I, I've, so opinion on Wingspan is quite divided. There are those who love it, there are those who are quite lukewarm to it's it. It's the same with anything, though. Yeah, isn't absolutely. It? Everybody's completely different. It's just an opinion. Um, yeah. But... Just check out some videos on it. It's a very nice game. That's what I'll say. And again, it's it's a game that it's really put modern board games on the map for a lot of yeah. people. A lot of people that just hadn't even considered board games. It's, you know what I mean? It, it's kind of broken through to the mainstream. Again, because it's it's transcended the like nerdy core that we're in of board game enthusiasts and has gone mainstream. And it's nice. Again, it's a different theme. It's all about birds. It's, um, I, I'm not a big bird person bird person i'm not a bird person no you're just a person person again it's um where did okay no it was the shut up and sit down podcast they talked about this because matt and tom played oh they, yeah, they did it on twitch with, with the designer elizabeth hargraves yep on tabletop simulator and they really enjoyed it. They, they were basically referring to this review that Quinns did and how he was a bit lukewarm on it. And they said that they really liked it. And they also talked about, I think Tom was saying that um, he, you know, since playing it, he's found himself like looking out of the window and like paying attention to the birds in the garden. And and how, you know, some games, like if a game's good, it, it can actually kind of introduce a new thing to yeah, you that you know? hasn't happened with us i'm still just as terror i do still no. I, I notice birds all the time yeah not because i'm interested just because i don't want okay them yeah near me but f- um and it hasn't made me any less terrified of sure birds. i mean from my point of view it's like I, i've kind of just slightly come around to the way of thinking that like all oh, right yeah some some birds are cool aren't they and, no and, and some birds some birds are kind of cute and no. some birds are terrifying they're and, all and, terrifying or all, all in all the they're pretty cool, Especially you know, the and that's birds about it. That we mainly have here, these monsters of seagulls. Yeah, we live in a coastal town, and they're huge. Yeah, and they don't sleep. So there's wingspan. 
Um, also, I will say that the, the newer printing of it comes with, I think it's called the Swift Start Pack, which is like... Um, yeah, we didn't actually use that. No, we haven't used it, but it's uh, there's supposed to be like some improved player aids and like a thing that essentially talks new players through their first like few turns of the game to really help out people who, you know, aren't familiar with... with more complex games again it's it's light ish it's like a med it's like a light medium weight game but again you know someone who's like has no experience of uh of board games beyond like yahtzee uh might mm. you know might need a bit of help but it, it was easy enough for us to get to grips with we haven't tried it with any any like you know muggles for lack of a better phrase i mean i want to make my brother play it we'll um... we'll, we'll get on that as soon as we can but yeah, we'll uh, we'll report back on how that's gone down with uh, with non-believers. Uh, but yeah, very nice game. Check it out. Finally, in our new games roundup, and this isn't all the new games that we've got this month, but we'll come to those in a minute. Tiny Towns. Uh, I forget who made it, who designed it. I don't know who made it. What's his name? I don't know. Yeah, Tiny Towns is a game by a man who makes who makes games. It's usually a man. It's a it's it's a pretty male dominated industry, you know. It's, it's like most exactly. I uh, Elizabeth Hargrave. She made Wingspan. That's all I got as far as female designers that I know of. God, I've got his name on the tip of my tongue as well. Tiny Towns is a light ish, medium ish weight game by. An American man, and basically... Um, it's Peter McPherson. Of course it's Peter McPherson, or Pete, as I like to call him. So, call him? Oh my call God. him. Don't call people, that's not cool. Yeah, no, he's not an apple. Peter, Peter McPherson, uh, sorry mate, I, yeah, that's your name. Tiny Towns is a game where you have a grid, like an 8 by 8 grid, which represents your town. It's and not, it's a 4 by 4 Oh yeah, well, okay, yeah, fourth, yeah, I know, I, I know what I meant. Let me live. <laughs> no, he's, no, I don't think he did. <laughs> You've got a sixteen square no, grid. Oh yeah, there is sixteen squares. Yeah. Thanks, maths. I can do them no, sometimes. No, no, no. You've Your got, you've got. Good. Every player has a player board which has a grid of sixteen squares on it, and there's an assortment of four different kinds of resource cubes, mm-hmm. or five, oh. five different kinds of resource yeah. cubes. <laughs> Brick, wood, glass, stone, and wheat. And there's a bunch of cards in the middle of the table, which there's like four cards of each building type. Yeah, and they, they all have different... They basically depict the resources laid out in a pattern, like a Tetris piece style pattern. And every round, one player calls out a resource. And every player has to take that resource. There is a variation, isn't there, where the players don't, and it's like a deck of cards. Yeah, and, but for yeah. the standard mode, every each player takes it in turn each round to call out a resource. Every player has to take that resource and put it on their board. And you have to place it on your board. And you're trying to lay out these resource cubes in the correct patterns. And once you finish that correct pattern, you can replace those resources with a little, little building meeple of that type. And... The buildings will have different effects and different ways of scoring depending on which buildings are available that game. And it's at first it seems like super light and, and happy and, oh, lovely, what can I build? I'm just making a little but town. But it is really puzzly, really quite puzzly. Yeah, because as your town starts to fill up and the space starts to diminish and everything gets choked off, 
and a player calls you to pick up a resource that you just don't want and you've got to put it somewhere and yeah. you end up with no room and you've got to really think and then, and then everything goes horribly wrong. It's a nice little game. I really like it. Yeah. My problem with it is I'm really quite blind, which also has the delightful side effect of uh, making me uh, struggle massively to differentiate some colours. And yeah, it's colours that are, uh, that are relatively similar. As far as I'm as concerned. As far as you're concerned, yeah. yeah. I, it's not like conventional colour blindness. Uh, it's just blindness and colours. Yeah, because the, the Tiny Towns was, was designed with colour blindness in mind, wasn't I it? I believe so. Um, and I... I believe Pete McPherson, McPherson is colour blind himself. I could be wrong. So I saw that and I was like, sweet, I am fine. No problems for me. And then we got the game and the, as far as I'm concerned, the red brick cubes and icons on the cards and the brown wood cubes and icons on the cards under most lighting conditions are really difficult for me to see the difference between sometimes i can kind of just get it i think i think the words you used were basically identical basically identical yeah. and i i'm sat there who i don't wear glasses my eyesight is virtually perfect all right show off <laughs> and i'm sat there like they couldn't be more different all right well good for you with your missus fancy eyes great yeah but i as somebody you know i understand how normal color blindness works sure i can totally see how that is good for normal color blindness mm-hmm. and as i said to you just because it says it's good for color blindness you can't take that as oh great it'll oh yeah work no totally me. and it's not like it says on the box color blind friendly this is the thing this this isn't a problem exclusively with tiny oh, town oh no no this it's... is a problem with board games at large yes most of the time, especially because we mainly play games at two, it's not too big an issue because, generally speaking, we will choose player pieces, meeples, whatever, that are colours that yeah. I can clearly differentiate between. I've even, between. on occasion, given you all of the player colours mm-hmm. and said, pick the two yeah. that are the most yeah. different. So it's not just an exclusive Tiny Town no. problem. It's a problem with board games in general. But some, I think some board games are, do better mm. at being colour like universally colourblind friendly than others. Um, yeah, but in your case, again, as I've said, it doesn't yeah. work like any actual colour blindness sure, because it sure. isn't colour blindness in itself. Sure. I mean, I mean, even then, there's different types of colour blindness yeah. as well. Yeah, so there is. That's another issue I've seen discussed online. Mm, then it know, might be good just for red, green, yeah, colour blind, but may not be anyone else. For a certain kind of colour blindness, maybe the publisher got like a colour blind person who works for them to be like, yep, that's good. But that doesn't mean it's going to mm. be okay with people across the board universally and then with you it's you're a complete anomaly yeah i'm just like blind ish well i'm severely visually impaired but that comes with its own side helping Mm. a nice a nice healthy side order of color blindness but of its own flavor yeah we just have our ways of doing it because i you know we've been together long enough that i understand mostly which colours you struggle with. So we just keep those colours away from one another and and stuff like that. Yeah. With Tiny Towns, that isn't always possible. No. Because sometimes the colours that you do struggle with are right next to one another on cards. Yeah, yeah. Um, And I think if you didn't have to constantly either try and guess what the colours are or ask me, Mm. I think you'd have enjoyed it a bit more. Oh, definitely. It's a good game. Just that that barrier for me. Yes, I think it's it's slightly infuriating for you to have to keep going, what colour is this? Especially, another thing that annoyed me was... The fact that there's a, it's supposed to have a decent solo mm, mode, and that's one of the reasons we got it, so you could play it on your own. Well, well I just, 
as I talked about last month, you know, we I've I've played a couple of solo games, played some solo games of Viticulture. Um, we played uh, I've played Ganshun Clever, our first roll and write game, solo, and you know, just opened me up to the to the notion that hey, solo games or games with a solo mode. Not bad, not bad. And, you know, and, and if I wouldn't buy a game because it has a solo mode, but a, a good game with a decent solo yeah. mode is a bonus. I think, I think a good solo mode to a good game, it adds yeah. to that game. And the realisation that I wouldn't be able to play that solo mode without having someone there to help me dis- differentiate between the colours, yeah, kind of sucked. But what are you going to do? The thing with Tiny Towns is, and the, what put it on the radar for me, was I was watching a video by, I think it was the Brothers Murph. Uh, they have a pretty cool YouTube channel all about board games. Check them out. They're good. I, I quite like them. Yeah, they are quite far removed from what you might consider to be the stereotypical board game liker. And I like that. You yeah, know? I totally. They did a list on um, Roll and Write games, their favourite Roll and Write games, and... As one of the honourable mentions, they mentioned Tiny Towns. And it's a good point. They basically just, you know, said in a lot of ways, in terms of gameplay, it plays a lot like a lot of roll and write games. In as much as, you know, you could play it with a, a grid of paper, but in this case, you're you're you know, you're not rolling, but you're you're instead of writing stuff out, you're placing these resource cubes on a grid and then you're placing a building. And that was like I've been aware of Tiny Towns for a while and I saw it mentioned on this video and I was like Oh, okay, because, you know, we've been kind of getting into roll and writes a little bit. Checked out another video on how to play Tiny Towns, and immediately I was just kind of like, oh, this looks good. This, this looks, like, really fun. So, yeah, you know, Tiny Towns is almost a roll and write in some respects, which leads us very nicely into our next segment. Segwaying beautifully from that new stuff bit in in the podcast episode into our feature this month see i don't even know at what point i decided we we're going to have a feature but it just it's so it kind of seems like we just have like a bit of a feature or a feature at a featurette depending on how big it is there is a feature is a featurette a female feature no okay is it I a small it, feature yes i think it's a small like feature. a kitchenette yes a kitchenette or, or, is a small kitchen or a towelette what's a towelette it's a small tower. Oh, yeah. I don't that was, know. That was a dumb question. Hey. Yeah, so this month's feature slash featurette. We're not even necessarily going to have a featurette every month or a feature. I don't know. I'm digging myself into a hole here. Anyway, we're going to talk about roll and write games. Yeah, we are. Last month, we talked about how we got a copy of Gans Shun Clever by Wolfgang Vosch. Very clever board game designer and like molecular biology that guy he was a molecular biologist who made board games for fun he is hella smart he does hard science and then he i believe since then he's gone full-time into board game design because he you know he's made kind of a name for himself and his board games are um popular you know we've got a couple we like him we talked about uh, taverns of tiefenthal that's also by him quacks of quedlinburg and another one we're going to discuss in a little bit Roll and write games. If you don't know, basically a roll and write game is where you have a pad or a sheet of paper or in some cases like a dry erase board and you roll a dice and then you write some stuff. Hence roll and write. Or in some cases we have what are known as flip and write games where you flip a card or draw a card and write some stuff. 
Also, I've heard the term flip and fill, because again, you flip a card, you fill something in. I've also heard the term draw and draw, because you draw a card and then you draw something on a bit of paper. Uh. Anyway, we just let's just call them roll and write games. They're generally really quite cheap. They're also generally really quite lightweight on rules and easy to get into. It's a medium of, of board games that I'd kind of turned my nose up for a while until we got Ganshun Clever, which again, it's it's like super straightforward. Why did like, we get Ganshun Clever? Because it was cheap. Okay. And because I've seen people saying it was like one of the best roll and rights there was. Mm. That's not me saying that I hate it. No. Like, you, I genuinely really yeah, enjoy yeah. it. I just can't actually remember what the reason for I, getting I, it I was. saw it on a website really cheap and I was like, you know what, I'm going to buy it. Yeah. Because this is the thing with the roll and write is that they're generally, if, if you're in the UK, they're generally anywhere between like 10 and 20 pounds depending on the game, which, you know, that's, uh, that's a pretty low kind of risk in terms of, you know, am I throwing away money here? You know, you, you could you could order like takeout that would cost more than a roll and write and, and it could be bad takeout that you don't eat and it makes you ill and you spend lots of time on the toilet. Anyway, yeah, we, we got Ganshun Clever and we thought we'd, we'd try some more roll and write games. Um, yeah, I now have the list. Yeah, Mrs. Evil stole the list, so I can't really go into the roll and write games that um, we've got. Well, first we got Cartographers. Indeed, Cartographers, which is one of the nominees for this year's Kenner Spiel de Jar. Which was part of the reason why we bought it. Yeah. We saw that and we, and kind of thought we might try it. Spiel de Jar being the yearly uh, like German board game awards, basically. But Spiel de Jar, basically, game of the year. And Kenner Spiel de Jar is like a category within that, which broadly means like connoisseurs game of the it's year. It's usually like a heavy... They're the heavier side. Comparatively. Having said that, this is the Spiel de Jar general category is usually pretty family-oriented. Mm, so yeah. even even having said that, the Kenner Spiel nominees, they're not exactly heavy or midweight. They're still pretty lightweight by, by most people's standards. But whatever, they've usually got a little bit more to them. Yeah, um, yeah cartographers. I love it. Of course you do. Okay. I get to colour in. Let's give it its full title, Cartographers, A Role Player Tale. Role Player was a game that came out, I don't know, a couple of years ago. Uh, like a dice drafting, dice manipulation game, where they basically the, the goal of the game is to create a tabletop RPG character and fill out their character sheet, a la D&D. And yeah, that's, that's an, it's a novel theme for a game, for sure. So uh, yeah, Cartographers is like a spin-off set within that universe. And go on, tell us about it. So basically, you draw cards... Yep. Uh, there's four, well, to start off, there's four seasons, mm-hmm. um, and each season has a value attached to it, um, which essentially denotes like how many cards you draw, because each card has their own value. Yeah. And so you flip cards, and they have t- sometimes two shapes. There are, there are ones that are single shapes, aren't there? Mostly, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's one or two shapes on there, which you then draw on your sheet mm-hmm. of paper. Yeah, you have a sheet of paper which is it, it represents a map. Basically, you're a cartographer, you're a map maker uh, in a fantasy medieval world. You draw cards, each one will have a different terrain type on there. You've got like, I want to say five different terrain types. You've got like forests, towns, rivers, farmland. Um, 
monsters. And you've got to uh, to fill in your grid-shaped map by drawing out these little bits of terrain squares with like nice little simplistic drawings. You can colour them in if you want, or you can just do it black and you know the game comes with some uh, some plain pencils. You can go fancy and use coloured pencils or, or felt tip pens. Up to you. And it's really fun. You basically just do that. You, you're basically making a map. Um, occasionally you'll draw a monster card, a monster ambush, at which point you've got to pass your map to the player on the left and they then draw on the monster. Monster. Basically you just get a, a shape with ha- which has monsters on it to basically be like, here, yeah. be, here be monsters. Um, they have to draw that somewhere in an attempt to kind of mess up your game. Mm. Then you pass them back and you carry on. Yeah. Again, without going into too much detail, there's lots of different ways to score yeah, because each. you've got different scoring conditions for each season. And the scoring cards are drawn randomly from like four different ones of each type for each game. So each game's going to play slightly differently in terms of the things that you're going for to try and get points. It's just really nice. It's really relaxing because it combines one of your favorite things, coloring in, with one of my favorite things, which is tabletop gaming. I mean, and one of your favorite things. I'm not as big on coloring in, but I'll take the hit because it's, it's tabletop gaming and it's really good. It's also a game you could probably play quite well remotely, although we haven't tried that because we haven't figured out a good way around the whole... Um, Monster thing. Yeah, drawing on each other's maps thing. I guess you'd just like give each other the grid references, but it's good. It's really good. It's actually kind of brought to my attention uh, role player as a game that I'm now more interested in. And the current game, well, the upcoming game, which is currently on Kickstarter, Role Player Adventures, which is kind of like a... Sort of a D&D simulation, choose-your-own-adventure-style game with dice-based, card-based gameplay and combat and skill checks and that kind of thing. Looks really interesting. Mm-hmm. At time of recording, I've backed that on Kickstarter, but, you know, the more I think about it, the more I think I might cancel that pledge and just maybe pick it up at retail later down the line i don't know it's not coming out until next year anyway but yeah cartographers it's good check out a video if you like coloring in if you like games if you like medieval fantasy and like D style settings or none of those things check it out it's really good mm-hmm. next on our list we have metro x which is by hisashi hayashi designer of Yokohama, which we mentioned earlier. He made a few other games. He also made a game called Trains, a deck-building game all about, strangely enough, trains. Yeah, this game it originally came out in Japan with like pads and pens and different artwork, and then it was picked up for a Western release by Game Right, yes, published in the in, in the go. West by Game Right. They changed the artwork. Um, On the original, wasn't it like Tokyo and? Like Osaka. Yeah, um, and now there's like train town. It's it's like Metro City and like train town or something. Tube, the, oh, is it tube town? Yeah. Uh, you have these double-sided dry erase boards. That's one improvement. It's dry erase mm. now. And also the uh, the boards themselves are a little bit clearer and cleaner, I would say, maybe. This is a tricky one to explain. You have a bunch of cards. You shuffle them. You flip a card and it has a number on it. And you take that number and you write it into one of the windows of one of the train cars on your sheet. Each train car then like connects to a train line, which will go off into a jumbled series of intersections across the board. And then you like mark crosses at the stops along that particular train line 
for that number that you just drew in in the window. It's a tricky one to explain. It's, it's a, really it's, simple. Yeah, but it's very good. Like, the game is actually really simple. Mm. It's just initially it just seems a little bit mind mind bending. Yeah, but it's really simple. I played this a lot on my own. You did, I had, yeah. had an, I had an afternoon where I just played Metro X. This is yeah over and over and over again. Because what I say, one of the things about Roland Rice is you'll usually get a pad of like a hundred sheets to play on and. On one hand, you're like, well, that's that's not good because that's I've only got a finite amount of gameplay there. What happens when I run out? And then you think about it on the flip side. That, say we generally play two players. So that's like 50 games mm. we can play of that game before we run out of sheets of paper. Now, we haven't played any of our games 50 times. I don't think we've most of I don't think we've played most of them 15 times mm. at this point. Yeah. Uh, partly because I just keep buying more games. So the games we have got generally get played a few times. Still love them. Still want to have them in our collection. But uh, new games, ooh, new shiny. Mm. But with uh, Metro X, it's dry erase, so you, you don't worry about running out of uh, running out of yeah. pages. You just rub it out, and do it all again. Mm. Yeah. And I played, you know, again, I sat and played it for, it was a good couple of hours, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, you were like, trying to get was... better scores. Yeah. That's um, basically, there's a decent little solo mode where you're literally just trying to beat your own yeah. score. And it's it's really nice because, again, it's 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 a bit puzzly, yeah. you know? It's really good. It's it's a little bit less well-known, but I think it only also only came out in the West this year. So um, quite a recent release. We picked it up off Amazon for about £15. So, again, really cheap. You, again, with a lot of these games... For the prices that you pay for them, you can't really go wrong. Uh, I should say cartographers that we've just discussed, a little bit pricier. You're looking at about £20 for that, but it's got some nice production. You mm. know, it's There's a bit more to it. But yeah, Metro X, mm-hmm. also really good. What um, else have we got? Next, yep. then we got Patchwork Doodle. Patchwork Doodle. Again, I think this was about £10. It was a no-brainer. It was really cheap, wasn't it? It was a no-brainer. And we already have Patchwork. Um, if you don't know Patchwork, we're not going to explain about it too much other than it's designed by acclaimed German designer Uwe Rosenberg. And it's a two-player only game about slotting Tetris pieces together in order to make a patchwork quilt. But, oh man, does it have more depth than that implies. It's a simple game, but it's deceptively deep and strategic. Anyway, Patchwork Doodle is the roll and write version of Patchwork. And to me, Patchwork Doodle has more of a feel of cartographers about it than it does of patchwork. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I would agree. Um, I like it. Again, it's more colouring in. It is colouring um, in, yeah. I think, well, it, it took us quite a while to play, but I think that was partially because I was doing a lot of patterns and making my sheet look really pretty. Mm-hmm. I think if you were to just do it really basically, it, mm. would, it would be a pretty quick play. Yeah, it's really nice. Also, strangely, so I say that it, it has a, a bit of uh, cartographers about it. In the credits, it says that the game was designed by Uwe Rosenberg, but then it also mentions that it was inspired by a design from Jordi Adan. I think it's Jordi Adan. I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Who was the designer of Cartographers. Now, I don't know about the timeline of this, but yeah, I wonder. But either way, it's nice. Find a video on it. It's, you're literally, you have a, a piece of paper that has a grid on it and you lay a bunch of cards out in a circle on the board, each one of which has a different Tetris shape on it. You have a little pawn. No, actually, it's a little meeple, a little meeple guy with a hat on who's going, hey. Uh, you put him in between any two of those cards. And then each turn you roll a die and then you move, you move the meeple like that many spaces forwards and then you draw the shape that the meeple lands on. Uh, it's pretty simple and 
it's a lot of fun. Again, you've just got to, you know, the, the fun is in trying to figure out where to fit these Tetris pieces on your on your board and to, to score points effectively. It's good, it's cheap, we recommend it. Next up, we've got a game, another game by Phil Walker-Harding, who we talked about earlier. He designed Bar and Park. It's Silver and Gold. Now, we've only played this once. I, I think I enjoyed it. I can't actually really remember. I remember it was really fun. Uh, in Silver and Gold, you, weirdly... You are drawing on the cards. Yes, that felt really odd. And you I have a, it gave me anxiety. A bunch, a bunch of linen finished cards and some dry erase markers. And you have to... Basically, everyone gets a couple of treasure cards. And then there are there's like four more treasure cards laid out in front of you and a deck that you can draw from. And then there are, I think, expedition or exploration cards. And each round you like draw an exploration card. And it has a shape on it, again, a Tetris shape. And you then have to cross off like that shape in, in, in X's on your treasure cards. And essentially, you can get bonuses along the way by crossing off different symbols. And once you've filled in one of your treasure cards, you place it next to you. It'll score you victory points at the end of the game. And you get to draw another, you get to take another treasure card from the middle of the table. And you carry on doing that. Again, they're pretty simple and straightforward, most of these rolling mm-hmm. rights. But... Also, as we said, it's really weird at first drawing on your cards. Yeah, when we first started, I, it made me feel uncomfortable. Yeah, you were like, you were like, do we just? Are you sure we can draw on these cards? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, well, we're yeah, because it just to. feels that you, it, it feels alien, you know. It does. And that's it not does. what you're supposed to do. It's very counterintuitive. Um, but it, it, you can, and it does come yeah. off. This is a newer game. This, um, and actually, we ended up getting the German edition uh, from Amazon because, again, it was it was like twelve pounds, something like that. It's really cheap. But it's fine. Past the. Um, the instructions, which you can find online in English. This is the thing. It's completely language independent. Yeah, all of the components, all of the icons, everything in the game is completely language independent, apart from the rule book. And I say rule book, it's more of a very thin rule pamphlet. And you can go to the publisher's website and you can download international rules. You can get the English rules as a PDF. I got them on my phone. And again, there's there's like three or four little pages of rules. It's, it's not like if it were a big complex Euro game with lots of rules, I wouldn't get a foreign language version because I don't really like having to read things as a PDF on my phone. But in this case, again, there wasn't a lot of rules to learn and to get your head around. So considering that basically they're currently or at least at the time we ordered a few weeks ago, aren't any international language or English language copies in the UK, we thought, ah, what the hell, we'll get the German version. Yeah, it's good. And it's it, good. It Silver and gold. Yeah. Um, it's fun. Next. Yeah. And I think this might be my, my favourite on here. Bricks. Bricks. With two Ks. B-R-I-K-K-S. Yeah. Bricks. Also by Wolfgang Vosch. And I love it. He's a molecular bio... Did we say he's a molecular biologist? I'm pretty sure that's what he did. He's a molecular biologist. He's he's real smart. And he makes board games. It's literally tabletop Tetris. Yes. Oh, man, that has some nice alliteration to it. Tabletop Tetris. Hmm. Yeah, it's it's pen and paper Tetris. Literally. It's wonderful. Even down to the fact that the sheet that that you're marking out is designed to look like an arcade cabinet. You can talk about it. Um, basically... You roll, you have a D4. A D4, yeah. And, and a D6. A D6, which has colours on the different yes. faces. Yeah. The D4 just has numbers one to four. D- yeah. Amazingly. Yeah. Um, and basically you have a grid of um, Tetris shapes. Yeah, there's like four columns 
and a bunch of rows yeah. of different Tetris shapes. And the, the D4 will denote the column and the colour yeah. denotes the colour. Yeah. And then you have to draw that on your grid and yeah. you can't flip them or, or anything. Well, you... you can flip them, but you have to use like energy yeah. crystals, energy tokens, whatever, mm. which you earn by covering spots on your on your play field with shapes of yes. that colour. Yeah. Again, it's really light and breezy. There's a there's a nice bit, nice bit of depth to it, but it is it's just totally Tetris in as much as you essentially spend these energy points to rotate shapes, or you can roll again. You can do like one re-roll yeah. per turn. Uh, you also, also have three bombs, so you yeah. can blow up three shapes that you don't um, want to use. Yeah. If you the unused bombs do score you points at the end, so so the you, less bombs yeah. you use, the more points you'll get at the end. Um, Even down to the fact that. Uh, a shape that you draw has to be able to metaphorically be able to travel from the top of the screen down and fit down into that gap. Yeah. Otherwise, you're not allowed to draw it there. So it really, and the fact that you can like move, you, you can theoretically, again, imagining it were a game of Tetris, you could have a piece just slot in left or right as it lands or mm. just you know just yeah. before it sticks into place at the bottom of the bottom of the screen it's literally board game tetris and it's wonderful and again i think i think this cost us about 12 pounds and it's great you've got like you've got 100 sheets in there so you you, you set for a, a decently long time of playing it's got a solo mode which we haven't tried again you could play this game online with somebody over over skype or over yeah. zoom we've if... actually mentioned it to uh, mark yeah. haven't we because yeah. we've played a few games with him over zoom a couple and we suggested that you know if he wanted to he could get a couple of these cheapish roll and write yeah because for in, in most cases as long as the person at the other end of the internet pipe has the required pad I mean, you know, you could find a printout. We did suggest this with a couple of things. In some cases, you'll be able to find like a PDF off the score sheet and just print it out. But, you know, even then, some of these games are so cheap, you could spend 10, 12 pounds on a roll and write. But then you can also you play then, Yeah, you, you, again, that's it. Yeah, you could play it with, you, with your family, with your friends, with your kids. Um, and you could still play it with people online. And I think that's partly why uh, roll and writes have become quite popular over the last few months in the era of social distancing. Yeah and uh, social isolation so bricks give it a try final one which is possibly one of the highest rated roll and write games that there is and i think it only actually came out like last year which is weird or a couple of years ago it's it's newer than i thought it was the game is called welcome to subtitle your perfect home but it's just welcome to this game it's probably the heaviest or most complex roll and write we've got you are a like town planner slash architect in 1930s 40s 50s, 50s america i think and you have a sheet which has like three streets on it and the idea is basically to plan out the perfect neighborhood do you want to elaborate you're sometimes better at explaining how these games work than um I am. and there's there's basically cards that you would uh, so the cards are double-sided mm -hmm. on one side they have a house number and on the other they have a power um there's various powers like building fences and um, putting pools in yep and so on things like that yeah and you turn the cards use the number of one card and use the power of the corresponding card yeah yeah 
Um, with like well, th- three lots of cards. Yeah, the power time. is option, optional. Mm-hmm. The number is compulsory. Yeah. And you have to fill in on your three streets, left to right, yep. in ascending order. Yeah. There Pretty are lots much. of ways to get points. Yes. Again, we... You have three uh, three other cards that are like planning. What are they called? Yeah. Oh, man. I can't remember. Like planning permits or something. Yeah. They're, they're basically like objective cards, mm, yeah. which if you fulfill the objectives you on that, which points. could be like a block of three houses and two blocks of five yeah. houses, you get points for that. But yeah. Th- it's nice. It's got a nice amount of point salad in it. Which yes. is to say, there's lots of different ways to score oh, points. everything you do and scores points. You never feel like you're being channeled to do one particular action. No. If anything, you're being channeled towards... Doing whatever the doing, hell you like. Doing a little bit of everything. Do whatever you want. Yeah. That's, and I, I actually like when games do that, when they, they kind of just give you almost like a sandbox and say, go crazy, do yeah. what you like. You'll get points for this, you'll get points for that, you'll get points for the other. It's up to you to try and figure out mm-hmm. what's going to be the most effective way there of There is also, points. there are, well, there are also a couple of ways you can lose points. Yeah, of course. But again, you know, you have to kind of balance using those because they're quite good power, like the BIS. Is it the BIS? BIS, yeah. It's quite a good power. Yeah, but you don't want to overuse Yeah, so you have the to balance. Of BIS. Yeah, you have to balance that, you know, doing those quite good, powerful actions that mm-hmm. might really help you out. Yeah. But not doing it too much because yeah. it will then mess with your score. It will, yeah. So, welcome to. We've played this like for two times. We also what? played it with Mark over Zoom. Yeah. Um, and that went of, really well. One of the great things about Welcome To is there is an official uh, score sheet app you can get for iOS and Android. And it's literally just a digital version of the bit of paper that you draw on. And I think it actually has all the expansions on there as well. We don't have any of the expansions, but there's different expansions for it with different themed pads and some, you know, slightly different mechanics. You've got like a summer one. You've got a Christmas one. You've got an Easter one. There's like a zombie apocalypse one. I kind of want that. A Halloween one. You know, also that. they all look pretty cool. Um, there's also a new game called Welcome to Las Vegas, which I haven't seen much of. I did hear the Shut Up and Sit Down guys talk about it on their podcast, and they said that like eh, it's it's more complex. But does that take maybe that takes mm. away from it? I don't know. I haven't looked into it. But Welcome to yeah, the digital score sheet means that you can play that online with a friend, or we basically we just um, set up my my phone camera on a tripod. There are pictures on social media. Yeah, there are on the Evil Meeple Instagram and Twitter account, um, pointing at the table so that my friend Mark could see the cards that, that were being flipped each time, and then he just marked stuff yeah. out on his, his digital score pad mm-hmm. on his phone at And his then end. at the end, it added it all up for him, and yeah. he shared that, because we were on Zoom, you can share your screen, he shared his screen. Yep. And it worked really well. Apart, the only thing that went wrong was Mark accidentally put roundabouts in and we weren't playing with roundabouts. <laughs> yeah, we haven't tried the roundabouts But I think, I think that was just communication error. Yeah, he totally. couldn't see what you were pointing to on totally. your sheet. Totally, and, yeah. But apart from that, it was completely fine. And because he was using the digital thing, he literally removed the roundabouts and it, it redid his score. Yeah, it absolutely. It worked it out. It was, it was really good. Welcome to. Very good game. Again, a little bit more complex than your average roll and write and also a little bit pricier. Again, you're looking at more like the £20 price bracket. But there are some really nice little bits in it. And yeah, again, got... the production is a step up from most roll and writes because the actual score sheets have got some some nice artwork on them. They're, they're quite decorative and pretty. And you were going to say about the player aids, I, I was going to say about the player aids, yeah. yeah. Um, and on, So you've got your player aids, which are nice. They're like cardboard, like laminated cardboard mm-hmm. almost. Yeah, cardstock. Um, but on the opposite side, 
Um, they could have just left that blank mm-hmm. completely. It would have been fine. Yeah. But they haven't. They've put these really cool, like, 1950s-style like advertisements. Fake, yeah, fake, com- fake adver- ad- bleh, advertisements, adverts on them. You've got one for a fake board game called Meeple War. Yeah, um, there's a dog one. A dog and one. And a dog. <laughs> one about a film. Yeah, but then, yeah, yeah and it, they're really cool. They're really nicely done. And again, completely unnecessary. Yeah. That side could have been blank, yeah. but I just think it's a really nice touch. Yeah, a that nice they've little done that. extra bit of presentation yeah, in there. And that again, incorporates the theme together. This is it's the really thing. nice. Y- your role and rights, they're generally very basic and kind of, um, you know, you you're only paying a small amount of money and you know you just get you generally get a small box with a pad a ruled pamphlet maybe a dice maybe a few pencils in there but in this case i mean you do get actually you don't get any pencils do no, you, you don't no but you can use pens you can use whatever but it's you know it's actually easier to use pen because of the art on the sheet you get uh, your pads. pencils aren't really visible this is true you get your pad with like a hundred sheets you get like a bunch of fat stacks of cards and you get some really nice looking you know artwork on some of the player boards and stuff like that so yeah welcome to it is consistently um rated by a lot of people as probably the best roll and write game there is i might agree again we haven't played any of these games really more than a couple of times or a handful of times each so in most of the cases with most of these games that we're talking about in fact pretty much all of these games we're talking about on this episode don't treat any of these as reviews. I would treat them all as our like first impressions. Yeah. You know, Gloomhaven, we talked about at the top of the episode. We've played it twice. So far, we really like it. We know it's considered to be the best game of all time by a lot of people. It's not a review from us. It's just to say, here's its reputation. So far, we really like it. And that's the case with most of the games that we're, that we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, welcome to... It's really good. Check it out. Yeah. Honourable mention, or not, I don't know. We also bought a, a roll and write game called Cat Cafe, which is about being in a cat cafe and trying to tempt cats to you by putting different cat toys on cat tower slash scratch post thingies. Yeah. It was really cheap, so I bought it. I like it. cats. You like so cats. So you got it for me. We haven't played it yet. No, I, I opened the box and I looked at it and the cats are really cute. One thing I'll say, the score pad feels thin. I feel like you've only got 50 sheets on there. Yeah, but the cats I know. I mean, yeah, real cats. cute, Lewis. Mm-hmm. Have you looked at them? I haven't, no. Oh, no, they're real cute. Uh, the other thing curled up ones that, and... Yeah, yeah. sleeping ones. Mm-hmm. Not, yeah, of course. It, it looks pretty cute. Um, we haven't played it, but, you know, again, it's cheap. It looks decent. We haven't played it. So, yeah, there you go. Roll and write games. Let us know if there's any roll and writes that we haven't mentioned that you think we should check out. Or let us know your thoughts on any of those games we've mentioned. Roll and write games. They're fun. They're cheap. They're a laugh, and you should play some. About this time in the episode, we like to answer questions that you guys, yes, you guys, have asked us on social media and give you a little shout out as well, because we're nice like that. Nice. Really, really, really nice. First question. We've only got a couple this month, which is fine because it means that, you know, we're, we're going to I'm going to talk rubbish for less of a long period of time. First question comes courtesy of Board Game Beacon on Instagram. He has an Instagram account. Also, he has a Twitter account. Check him out. He seems like a really cool guy. He asks, which games have proved you wrong in a good way? And which games did you think slash want to like, but turned out to be below your expectations? I'll let you answer first. Okay, so the first bit... Um, Which games proved you wrong? 
Yes. Yeah. A lot of the games that you've bought. Okay. Um, I, okay, so I read this question. I did think of you. And I thought back to when we got Carcassonne, yeah. which you were very vehemently against getting. Again, we, we, we discussed this at length in, the, in episode one. Go and check it out if you haven't done already. But yeah. Yeah, Carcassonne is one mm-hmm. of them. I yeah. really did not want that game. Okay. I now love it. Yeah. Gloomhaven. Right. Okay. Was another. Okay. You weren't uh, on board with getting it, even no. though we got it. Well, we I t- we talked about this earlier. I said why. Agricola. Yeah, yeah. Didn't yeah. want that. No, you didn't. Really like it. Yeah. Uh, there's, you know, quite a lot of, of the games that we've bought have proved me wrong. Mm. And regarding the other one. Games that you wanted to like, but basically didn't like as much as you thought you would. Res Arcana is one of them. Yeah. I really wanted to like... We did talk about this last episode. Yeah. And I really wanted to like that. I was thinking about but this I again. But I just couldn't. I was thinking about this the other day as a result of this question, of seeing this question pop up on Instagram. And I feel like we, we really... Again, we, we said this last month we would need to play Res Arcana again. I think we do, yeah. To see if we can find the find the love. That hasn't happened yet, but I... I was like, yeah, actually, I, I I feel like I'd quite like to play that again. We will at some point. Mm-hmm. Dixit is another. Yeah. I really wanted to like that. It sounded really cool. The first time we played it, I quite enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. And the first time was with Mark. I think the problem with Dixit is that we've played it like three or four times. And most of those times have been with three of us. Where there's the, the weird rule. No, we rule. did a four once. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But the other times we played with three of us. Mm. And there's the weird rule where... The non-storyteller players play two cards each. I don't know. Anyway, yeah. Dixit's a party game. That's the other thing. And yeah. we're not really about party games. Because um, we're not really party people. Well, we're, we're sitting at home in our pyjamas, people. And that's fine by me. Go on, what else? Temple of Elemental Evil as well. I thought yeah. I was going to really like that. And then I really didn't. It turned out it was hot garbage. And it made me feel claustrophobic yeah and oppressed mm-hmm. it wasn't it wasn't a fun experience i remember no fun at all in that experience There's very little fun in that game i just yeah, I, I just least. felt uncomfortable mm. the whole time i'll agree i think that's it um what about you okay i'm struggling with games that exceeded my expectations because you know me i like to do my research so when I've decided that I want to get a game, it's normally because I've seen feedback on that game with people mm. saying, this game's amazing. Yeah, because you, you tend this to watch. This game's so good. I watch quite a lot of yeah. board game content on YouTube, listen to a couple of podcasts. I always know what game is I've at the forefront. I've got my eye on next. Yes, what game is at the forefront of your mind because it's the one that you'll watch the most reviews. Oh, you mean like earlier when I said... I've been considering that maybe we get a game by Vital Lacerda. And you said, oh, really? That's really surprising. When yesterday I watched like a video uh, from, I think, Meeple University discussing like their Vital Lacerda games. And then the day before I watched, I think, all of the videos, all of the reviews that No Pun Included did. Yeah, so for the last... Various Vital Lacerda games. For the last couple of days, I've been very aware of what you've had your eye on. Yeah, yeah. um, Because of the videos that you've been watching. And I'm just waiting for you to say something. Yeah, that's true. So I don't really know with, with... I don't know if I've been pleasantly surprised by... I guess maybe Scythe, in as much as Scythe's a game that I've been aware of for a long time, and I just kind of dismissed it of like, ugh, just, ugh, no, I don't like that. And then I watched a video, I watched Rodney Smith's Watch It Played video on how to play it, 
and I was watching it, and again, I mentioned this last episode, and I was like, that actually looks really good. I look, you know, it looks like a game I could really enjoy. But as far as games that I that I liked more than I thought I would, you know, in terms of after I played them, I don't think there really are any. As to games that disappointed me, again, as you said, D&D Temple of Elemental Evil, uh, no, I do not recommend, based on that one game, I should add, this is just my personal opinion, I do not rec- recommend any of the D&D uh, adventure series board games. There are far better dungeon crawlers out there, or just play actual D&D. Dixit, sure, you know, again, that was a game that we got early on in our board game career, and it's a party game, it's not... We're, you know, we don't have we don't have that many friends. We don't really have a huge. We don't like to have a huge gaming no. group that we play games with. So party games, eh, probably never really going to gel well with us. Res Arcana again, but we've talked about that. We want to play it again. It's we see there's a good game there. It's just we haven't seen why. Yeah, some we need to try it, it with the do. drafting yeah. variant. And I think I like it more. Yeah, here's my ultimate game that I thought was going to be good and I didn't really like. Skull. Oh, I forgot about that. Skull, Skull, Skull. I saw a couple of times this game was mentioned in different videos. The first one, I think someone basically said it was kind of like the purest distillation of poker, or poker distilled into its purest form. And how with like five cards each, you know, this this, this game is like so good. We finally picked up a copy. We tried to play it one evening with Mark. And we were just like, are we missing something here? And I don't know. We've not played it since. No. We've had no desire to play it since. It's at the back of a shelf where we can't see it. What I will say about Skull, I'm sure there's a good game there again, right? I think that it didn't gel well with us. And I think from my point of view, I feel like I'm not the kind of person who's going to get a lot of enjoyment from games that involve like bluffing and or... Like, I don't know about social deduction, because I've not really played games that involve social deduction, but games where, like, bluffing and or deception of the other people around your table is the game, mm, you know? Yeah, we talked and, about And that's this. kind of what Skull is, as far as I can tell. You know, I'm, I'm a much bigger fan of games with game mechanics, you know, where, where, where the game is the game, not where the players are essentially the game. And I think that was, you know, again, I'd heard great things about Skull and how it's the most fun you can have with a small box, a handful of cards and a bunch of people and anyone can play it. And, you know, people, oh yeah, we play it for hours and, you know, it always goes down well with our group. And I thought, yeah, this is going to be great. And we got it. And three of us sat down to play it and we were like, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get why, why this is supposed to be good. I don't know. Like maybe we were missing something. But I feel like, again, what it comes down to is that I don't think that, like, bluffing games are my thing. They're not mine either. Um, I I feel really uncomfortable with deception. I mean, yeah, this is the thing. I'm terrible at it because it's written all over my face. I've always been the kind of guy who, like... I'm really bad at deception. I've I, like, I always, I feel like I've always been a very honest person. I feel like I hate lying. I mm. hate deceiving people. So, and I mean, I know that in, in the context of a game, like it's all good fun. It's like, it's consensual deception, <laughs> you know? So like, like morally and that, that's okay. You can allow yourself to be a bit conniving and deceitful, but it's just, it's not my thing. And I think that's, that's where I am with Skull. It's in our collection. If someone wanted to come and take it away from us, I would gladly part with it. 
maybe in exchange for a fiver. Our second question this episode comes from The Board Critic, also on Instagram. Uh, Go and check out their Instagram account. It's good. They asked, now this is a heck of a question, Mm. why do you play board games? Is it the Battle of the Wits, escapism, or something else? Man, that's a big question, that is. For me, mm-hmm. um, I've been thinking about this for the last couple of days because yeah. I saw the question um, when they posted it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's so, it's really hard to explain. So I've always had an overactive imagination mm-hmm. and my brain works really, really quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it takes a lot. To, I, I struggle to just sit and do nothing. Sure. You, you've noticed this. Yeah. I always need some some like noise. Some or sort of stimulus. Something yeah. going on. Because yeah. you're, you're quite happy sit on the surface sitting on the sofa on your phone with the TV off and everything. Mm-hmm. I yeah. can't deal with that. I need at least noise. Mm. So in that, I read a lot. As a child, I did a lot of puzzles and I read. And my yeah. mum, I think, struggled to keep me entertained sometimes. Yeah. 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 So it's another outlet for that. Sure. In a way. Yeah. And it's also escapism, um, which is another reason why I, I read a lot. I mm. really enjoy escaping to a different world and yeah. situation. And maybe partially because the world is awful. Especially right now. <laughs> yeah, so it's really nice to just yeah, disappear is. somewhere else. Oh, isn't it just? But that's part of it. And it's also keeping my brain active and engaged because if I don't, I start to get really restless and fidgety and you know, you, sure, you've yeah, seen it yeah, when I'm yeah. when there's no like stimulus going on. I Would get you really class weird. that as escapism? This is the thing I don't know. Fair enough, yeah. Yeah. Or is it just like a distraction from yeah. my own. I guess that would maybe <laughs> neuroses. Yeah. I'm not sure. Yeah, I guess maybe that would be something else. I don't know. In my case, again, I've I've hinted at this over the last couple of episodes. I don't know really. Like I've always or since I was a kid at least, I've always been a fan of video games. So I enjoyed the escapism aspect of playing video games throughout my childhood and my teens. So yeah, that's that's probably a factor. Because again, as I've said before, I feel like being into board games, it's kind of been a, a weird progression from me being a big fan of video games. I still love video games, don't play them as much, but then I haven't I'm a bit like that with video games anyway. And I've talked about this with board games versus video games, right? A lot of video games are these epic, like, cinematic campaigns that you'll play over several hours. And quite often, I'll play a game for a couple of afternoons when I get it. And then I just kind of, like, start to lose interest in, like, following on with the narrative sometimes. Whereas with board games, for the most part, they're not generally campaign-based. It's just a one-shot, let's sit down and play our game of this. And you can do that. And then you can you can do it again a couple of days later or a couple of weeks later, a couple of months later. And it doesn't matter because it's not like you kind of got to pick up from where you left off. Unless you're playing a, uh, a legacy or campaign-based game. But, you know, the only thing we've got that approaches that currently is Gloomhaven. So... Maybe we'll have that issue with that. That's partly why I haven't bought any new board games because I'm like, we need to play more Gloomhaven. I, I don't want to buy more games because we, we need to play more Gloomhaven. So I think a little bit of it is the escapism. As for the Battle of Wits, I don't know. I don't think that applies to it for me because I'm not very competitive. It does It does with me a little bit. Because you're, um, I'm, as, as we I'm described... I'm really competitive, aren't I? You are ruthless when it comes to board games. I yes. just... 
I just love to win. I do, yes. Yeah. I'm a terrible loser. And an even worse winner. Yeah. 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 I'm yeah. I'm <laughs> It's true. And it bring it does it does bring out a really like horrible side, I think, in some cases. Mm-hmm. It's fine. Again, I'm just like predisposed to the fact that I'm gonna lose. And if I don't, then yay, that's a bonus. But I've but always been I, I go into every board game we play that's a competitive board game with the the notion that I'm probably not going to win. I've always been fine. really competitive though in everything. Yeah. And especially if somebody's like oh you're not very good at that and then I'm like I will go out of my way to prove them. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. I've always been a bit like that. I work best in a com- under the competition like I can't, what's the word? Competitive environment. Yes, I work best in a competitive environment yeah. or out of spite. Cool. Nothing scary about that. So yeah, yeah there, there you go. It's, in my case, yeah, it's a bit of escapism. And I think like, like part of that is, again, I, I think I've alluded to this in previous episodes, is that I, for me, I, when I'm like fully engaged with a game, like with its mechanics, and this is partly why I quite like a, a more complex game, like a, a, a midweight Euro or you know, a mid to heavyweight Euro, is that even though I'm not exactly great at these games, I'm, I'm fully mentally engaged with that at the time and I kind of lose myself in the game, mm. in the puzzle of the game. And it's really nice. You just kind of get into that zone. It's not that I'm trying to necessarily escape from everything. It's just, I, also, I don't know. I just like playing board games. Yeah, I They're also nice. think for me, I suffer with quite bad anxiety. Sure. Um, yeah, I'm quite, yeah. I'm quite highly strong and an anxious person. Right. Yeah. Uh, I don't know if you've noticed. Never. Um, <laughs> not once. No. And I, I think that doing, Especially the heavier, more puzzly games. Yes. Yeah. I feel like untangling that mess and that puzzle yeah. kind of helps with anxiety in a way. Yeah, it's giving your brain something else mm, to focus on. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, yeah, which is, again, you know, I, over the years, I've, I've, I've had a lot of, of coping mechanisms mm-hmm. for it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, reading being one, doing yeah. puzzles, another. Yeah. And I think board games is, is another way of doing that because for that however long you're sat playing that game nothing really comes into it and no. I, I also think that unraveling some kind of big puzzly mess kind of helps you unravel stuff that's going on in your head potentially that's a very good point yeah so if so if i am feeling especially anxious i do mm-hmm. think that that helps because while i'm doing this nice little puzzle on the board my my brain in the background is kind of unpuzzling whatever's going on mm. and what's making me all mental. Good. So that's also pers- like personally for me. Yeah. You yeah. know? Cool. Well, that is it for this month's episode of the Evil Meeple podcast. Thank you very much for listening. We really hope you've enjoyed it. We will be back very soon with another episode. Until then... My name's been Evil Lewis, along with Mrs. Evil. Goodbye. Bye.